So, what a blessing to be a Mark 2. Um, you know, in Mark's Gospel, it's a Gospel of action. We've gone over that a little bit. Um, but it's the action and ministry of Jesus Christ. And as we read of them, and as we study them, it, it provides for us discipleship. Well, what is discipleship? Well, discipleship is following Jesus and then learning how to walk and live like Jesus. The disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ, and we are then to have actions of Jesus. And the theme, as you remember, in Mark chapter uh, 10 that we went over, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. So at the very heart of being a believer, we are to be servants. We are to serve the Lord with our lives. To have His life flow from our life to be a light to the world. And so... Um, if we look at verse 1 of Mark chapter 2, it says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Now i got a confession to make. In Israel, when we entered into Capernaum, it was just amazing. But then we came to this place where Peter's house was. And I was bummed out because, Lord, I just taught on Mark chapter 1 to where Jesus, if we remember, after they went to the synagogue, they came, back to, or they came to Peter's house, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and then she began to serve. And at the end of the Sabbath, all the people came to that place, and Jesus healed people of various diseases. And then after they left Capernaum, Jesus went on and he preached at the synagogues all throughout Galilee. All right? So then here, and I was bummed out at this point because I saw the synagogue. I see the house, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. I see the sea, and just how everything is right there within a stone's throw away. It's totally amazing. And then so I was bummed out. Then when I got a chance to sit down, I thought, I need, what's in Mark 2? And here we are in verse 1, it says, and again, he entered Capernaum, after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. What house is that? It's that Peter's house. And so if we got some pictures here. So that's entering into Capernaum, the town of Jesus. Capernaum is a place where Jesus did many of his miracles and preached the gospel. This house here, or it's not a house, it's a structure. It's actually a place of worship. Uh, Catholics have put that there. And then underneath this house, if you go to the next picture, there you can see, I didn't get a very good picture, I have those bars in the way, but underneath that building, the foundation in the middle is the, the very foundation of that house, of the house that we're looking at in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And then the outer section was what was built later on in history. And so this is the very house that Peter healed uh, his mother-in-law, and next, next slide, next picture. Okay, next one, that's just, that's the Sea of Galilee. Is there another one in there? Oh, man. Huh? There isn't the, uh, 
What? Yeah, there's another one of the synagogue. It's not there? Yeah, I got it. There's something messed up then. Well, anyway, the synagogue is right. I got a picture. It's, it's like 75 feet going this way, and the synagogue's there. Now, on that synagogue, they have buried, and they, they show it the first century, the synagogue where Jesus was at, and then during time, the fourth century, they put another synagogue on top of it. But you could see the ruins of the foundation of that synagogue and then the fourth century put on top of it. So it's all right there. And then if you go to the Sea of Galilee, we have this visual, and that's right there. I mean, within 50 yards. So it's all right there. So it's really fascinating. So at this particular time, remember, Jesus was with four disciples. He comes back into Capernaum. And, you know, people had heard what Jesus was doing, the miracles, and... Um, and they come back to this house. In verse 2 it says, Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door, and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And so if you can picture that place, not the structure over it, but at Peter's house, that place was packed with people because Jesus, his fame was coming about and people were coming to him. And I think it's interesting and important for you and I that it says here, and he preached the word to them. They weren't necessarily there for the word. They were there for the miracles. But Jesus in his unlimited wisdom knew exactly what they needed. They needed the word of God preached to them as the word of God is powerful and it has great ability. And so, with Jesus, when he's having a crowd, he knows what the people need. And you think about today, so many people, they want that religious experience, something that they can feel and really put their emotions around. Jesus knows what they need. Jesus understands their greatest need is their sin. And again, so many people are just going after different things, religious sensationalism. But Jesus said... If you abide in my word, you are disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So to experience the satisfaction that only Jesus Christ can give, we must abide in his word and abide in him. Any other religious striving or achieving or trying to be emotionally filled cannot satisfy our hearts. And God has created us as men and women. He's created man to worship God. And only He can fill that satisfaction of worship. When we worship anything else, whether it be ourselves, idols, whatever it might be, there's no power in that. But it's amazing how much we try to 
bring other things in to our mind to be able to worship. And so the, here we have essentially the message that Jesus brings from his word is greater than the miracles. And John talks about that at the end of his gospel. The miracles of Jesus was shared in order to point people to Jesus Christ to their greatest need, which is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we're given the account of these four disciples, and it's, or not four disciples, but these four men. Isn't this awesome? These four men, they have faith. They believe if they can get their friend this paralytic, if they can get this man, their friend, to Jesus, Jesus could do something. I, I can't even share this story without thinking of Doyle Mayhew. <laughs> because I'll never forget Doyle. 85 years old. A sinner. Destined to spend eternity not in the presence of God. And there was one day he said, Jim, I, I want to go to church. So I went to his house, I talked to him. I, I want to go to church, but I don't have a way. I'm like, Doyle, Doyle, Doyle. You can get to church and we'll bring you in. He was concerned about the steps. He was kind of in a wheelchair at that time. I said, if you get there, we'll just bring you in. Would you really? And then I shared this scripture with him about the paralytic man. And he came. We had a couple guys bring him right up them steps in his wheelchair. Long story short, because it was a long story with Doyle, because he had a lot of long stories. He ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ. And he got baptized when he was 85 years old. And he was a different person when he got saved. He wasn't the prideful Doyle. And all the things that he did in his life that he thought brought satisfaction to him when he confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he was a changed man. And he was even more fun. <laughs> but these friends, they had a burden for their friend. Their friend needed a touch of God. Again, these aren't just stories historically. The Word of God speaks. These are the words of the Spirit of God to you and I. And you and I, when we read of this, what say of you and I? Do I have a burden for the lost as these four gentlemen did for their friend who needed healed, who needed touched? Just a couple thoughts about that. Just think about how difficult. We don't like difficulty, do we? We want things to be smooth and easy in life. Amen? Okay, you're with me then. We want things to be smooth, but just think how difficult it was to be carrying this man in the crowd of people. This place was packed. They couldn't even get into the front door because the place was so crowded. It was difficult. They overcame that difficulty. They went up to the house on top, not the building that we saw, but the house of Peter, and they had to bust through some fashion, go through the roof and drop their friend, the paralytic, down to Jesus. And they did that because they had faith. And then you think about how unusual. You know, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ living in this world, you are unusual. You're not the norm. You are different. We're called to be different. Not weird. Different. We swim upstream. It wasn't business as usual with these four guys. They took their friend. 
And that's what faith will do. Faith will lead us to do unusual things. Things that don't make sense to the world. And then it costs them something. You know, somehow they had to pay for that roof. I just pictured that in mind. They had to pay for that roof. The big picture, what does the Lord say to you on this? About our lost friends, our lost family members. What, what do we do? Do we have the heart to bring them to Jesus? Or do we tell them something else? Well, just go to that church or go to this group. And you know, that's the danger in the ministries, the addiction ministries. I'll just come out and say it. Because so many of the addiction ministries have the foundation of self-help. If it's not rooted in the Word of God and Jesus Christ, they cannot be set free. They will try the rest of their life to be sober. And it's not about being sober, it's about being right with God. And only He can make us right with Him through the blood shed by Jesus Christ. Psychology. You know, psychology and the Word of God, it's like water and oil. There's no mixing of it. Psychology says man is inherently good. The Bible says that we have a problem and it's sin. And our sin must be dealt with first. And once that sin is dealt with, and once we're in that right relationship with God, the Spirit of God can empower us to overcome. Without the Spirit of God, without God, it's just willpower. I don't know about you, I've never done good with willpower. Oh, I've got stories, I better go on here. The stories of willpower. But the big picture here is being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He desires for His works to be accomplished in us and through us to the world. We've been called by God. We're a child in His kingdom. And He desires, this is the whole meaning of discipleship, He desires His life to be lived out through us. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It starts with following Him. If there's a sidetrack, even in your walk now with God, if you're not following Him, He can't make you in what He wants you to be. And it's interesting to me as we think about discipleship in this Gospel, the first few things that Jesus points to right off the bat Essential elements of following Jesus. Number one, Jesus prayed. Remember back in Mark 1? He found a a, a quiet place and he went and prayed. Folks, if Jesus felt the need to pray, how much more for you and I to have that need of prayer? And then we see here the preaching of the Word of God. You don't have to be a preacher, right? Right? This is, he isn't speaking of the office of a, a preacher. Every one of us, preacher, means to proclaim, right? We proclaim the Word of God. And then here, an essential part of discipleship, bringing others to Jesus Christ. Well, this is Discipleship 101. And then we see in verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Of all the things that Jesus could have said to him, he zeroes in to this man's heart. Oh, Jesus knows he he needs a physical healing, but he goes straight to 
the paralytic's heart. His greatest need was to have his sins forgiven. Verse 6 says, And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? So we have to see here, this is the amazing thing about reading the Word of God. We're clearly shown here that Jesus, the, the Word is showing us a huge contrast between a, four men who have faith in Jesus, His healing power, and Jesus able to forgive sins. And then you have the scribes who were like the lawyers, right? They meticulously copied down the law and wrote the law. So as they were doing that, they built up a knowledge and pretty soon it developed pride as they were some of the religious elite. And here we have Jesus the Messiah, the one who was promised, going to perform a healing and they miss out. Why did they miss out? Well, because they reasoned in their heart. Good example for you and I as disciples of Jesus. We cannot reason in our hearts. Reasoning in our own heart is a hindrance to faith. Why? Because our hearts are wicked and deceitful. That's why we constantly need to be in the Word of God, gaining God's perspective on everything in life. Because His Word, every Word of God is pure and a shield for those who put their trust in Him. Well, Again, the greatest need for this man wasn't his physical, but it was the spiritual. He needed his sins forgiven. And as they were reasoning, Jesus sensed it. The scribes were reasoning. And verse 9 it says, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out into the presence of them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So we see faith from the four friends. But the faith of his four friends could not bring salvation. But see, Jesus sees the whole big picture. He knows what's going to happen right after this. And we see faith from this man. Just think when Jesus says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. This man expressed faith and he got up. He was a paralytic. He had to express faith to get up. And so here we have the beautiful balance of the sovereignty of God and man's choice, receiving from God. It wasn't just like Jesus snapped his fingers and the man was healed. Faith has to be present for the working of God. Now, God can do many things without, without us. But here, this healing, it was going to have to be faith. Verse 13. Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. So if you just picture around this house, all the people there, their paralytic's friends, bring him, drop him down the roof, 
Jesus does this, he heals him, he gets up and walks. And so it's all crowded, and so they went out again, and all the multitude came to him, and what did Jesus do? He taught them. He taught them the kingdom of God. Now in all of this, Jesus is showing his authority. And how important is this? This is something that really spoke to my heart this week because you can have all the evidence, the factual things about God and still miss the Messiah. The Jews have missed the Messiah. Our tour guide, Yossi, 70-year-old man, knew the inside and outside of Israel knew these things pertaining to Jesus, and yet he was not a believer. Sad, very sad. And of course, I got the teaching sites that talked about the Jews' unbelief, and he was standing right beside me a couple times. But just think, let's turn, turn with me, just as an example, to Isaiah 35. Turn back to Isaiah 35. And I want to point something out that you you know and, and you should know that the whole Bible points to Jesus. In the Old Testament, there are 300 prophecies pertaining to the coming of the Lord, His first coming. And throughout all of the Scriptures, so many more of the second coming. God showed through the prophets that the Messiah would come. And here in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4, it says, to speak, God speaking through Isaiah, the prophet. And this was 700 years prior to Jesus' coming. Say to those who are fearful, hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Listen to this. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Did Jesus perform any miracles where he healed the blind? pool of Siloam, he healed the blind man. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Did he hear the deaf? Did he? Yeah, he did. And the lame, listen, the lame shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb sing, for water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. All these things pointing to Jesus. And remember, you have the scribes who, they understood the Old Testament. They rewrote it meticulously, the law and the Old Testament, to, to have copies. Yet, they missed the Messiah. Going back to Mark chapter 2 then. Verse 14 says, As he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. And so we have the tax office. There's the Sea of Galilee. And right next to the Sea of Galilee, right, right there's this government building where they collect taxes. Right, you know, 50 yards away, uh, 75 yards away from, from that house. And so the picture comes alive. Right there with all these people. That says that um, 
He passed by. So Jesus didn't have to walk very far. And who does he run into? Matthew, who is Hebrew name Levi. And he says, follow me. And this is very, very, very interesting. When you think about this invitation from Jesus to Matthew. Now we have to understand who is Matthew. Well, he's a disciple. Yes, he was a disciple. But here when Jesus calls him, he was a tax collector, which means he was despised by his own people, a Jew. He was despised because he would be collecting taxes. As this place was a busy place, they probably taxed the fishermen. Uh, there was a lot of trade going back and forth. So everything was being taxed for the Roman government, Roman Empire. And part of Matthew and what he could do, he would collect taxes or set the taxes for the people, and he could set taxes to price it higher to make his income greater. So the people despised him because they were dishonest. They were, you know, working for the Roman Empire and he was a Jew going against his own people. But here we see the Messiah call out to him and say, follow me. Follow me. Now it happened. As he was dining in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners. They said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus says, Follow me, It's an invitation to come to him to be his companion. To walk in the same manner. To walk in the right path of life. And hopefully we see the wonderful grace of God in this. Because that's what God wants us to see. He, Jesus called out to Matthew, the tax collector. The one who was despised by the people. The one who was dishonest. The one who essentially was a crook. Despite his lifestyle, despite all his failures, despite his sin, Jesus loved him and called to him and said, follow me. That's exactly what happened to you and I. There was a time when Jesus said, come and follow me. And it didn't matter what your life was. And how many of us tried to, when we heard that call to follow me, reason in our hearts and try to do religious things and wait till we're good enough to really pour our hearts back to the Lord. Anybody do that? <laughs> and the Lord breaks in and the Spirit of God brings that conviction and shows us the greatest need that we would have is to have our sin removed that we might have fellowship with God. Follow me. Come and be my companion. And it's interesting, and what I have read, it's like, you know, because you've got to ask yourself the question, why, why would Matthew throw this party with all these sinners? And when it says sinners, it probably means prostitutes, tax collectors, crooks. I've got to believe that Matthew's called this party together. Jesus is there, remember. 
he's saying farewell to the old life. And I think it's strategic that he was doing so. And I think that is discipleship 101. There comes a point in our life when we're called to follow him that the old life has to go. Spiritually, it's gone. Then by faith, we walk in that. But again, the picture of baptism. You know, being buried with Christ in water baptism, being raised to the newness of life. It's a new life. We are a new creation in Christ. A new creature in Christ. And so Matthew, he has this party. The disciples are there. Jesus are there. And we also had the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember the Pharisees, those religious leaders doing everything externally, their righteous deeds to think they would be right with God. The scribes that's already been mentioned, they're all there. They're wanting to see what Jesus will do. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the scribes had a problem with Jesus eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, the non-believers, if you will. Once again, we see Jesus directly speaking to hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus came to be Savior of all people, especially of the outcast, as Matthew was, especially of these sinners, the prostitutes and whomever, the crooks and all not, all of those. Jesus came as a physician would tend to those who are sick. The righteous, they had no need of a physician because their righteousness was a blind spot for them because it was self-righteous. We cannot earn God's favor by our own self-righteousness. The man who was healed and Matthew, they understood their greatest need was to have their sins forgiven. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous. And again, he's talking to the religious elite. They thought they were right with God, but they weren't. And it comes to you and I that we can never use the righteousness we have with Christ as our own righteousness. We can't boast in the blood of Jesus Christ. We can't boast in the things that we did to earn God's merit, God's favor. That's oxymoron to the word grace, right? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it talks about us being dead, spiritually dead. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. But Christ Jesus brings us alive. Once we're spiritually dead, we are deserving of God's judgment. But in Christ Jesus, our judgment was paid for at the cross. Amen? And it's just as a physician would heal those who are sick, Jesus took care of the greatest need that we have, and that is our sin. We are going to stop there. I don't want to rush on the Sabbath and these things that, you know, because here Jesus, we're beginning a very important part 
of the Gospels. A very important part in history, not only to apply to us, but the things that Jesus says to the religious leaders are vital for us to understand. Because the religious leaders, they, you know, again, they were relying on their own works, their own understanding. And God came in through his son, Jesus Christ, and just the Messiah came. And that, again, that's one thing this past week I, I see so clear. I should say, I see more clearer that the wonderful beauty of Israel, just gorgeous. In the next couple of weeks, I'll be putting together, you know, PowerPoint presentation that we can see, but all the evidence. You know, at the Sea of Galilee, these things that I showed today, but, you know, different, you know, the mountains of where Jesus went up and he prayed for the disciples as he saw them struggling on the sea. All these things, and then the temple. Oh, my goodness. All these things point to Jesus Christ. It all points that the Messiah did indeed come. But we also have a blessed hope, and that is Jesus is returning. And to stand on the Mount of Olives was one of the most incredible things. And to see those stones from the first century temple, and to see the foundation, to see those stones that have turned over, just as Jesus said, and as he talked to his disciples and gave that Olivet Discourse about it, the second coming of Jesus, it all, but all of it's a love story. To the Jews first. Praise God for our salvation. He has made you well through his blood, amen? And he calls us to follow him. What say you about your walk with the Lord? Are you following him? Are you learning to follow Jesus, to imitate him, to live life as he lived? That's the goal. Life, life, life. God is a God of life. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, would your spirit just continue to show us what discipleship is. May we set our feet right in the shoes of those disciples and those men who had such a love for their friend. Lord, may we have a burden for the lost. May we have that desire to bring people to Jesus, to share the truth. And Lord, maybe, maybe we need to have your Spirit work in our own hearts, Lord, that would remove those hindrances, Lord, those things that might be in our life that are distractions to those who don't know the Lord. And maybe we allow fear, maybe we're ashamed of our own sin, that we don't have a burden for the lost. Would you work in us such a way, Lord, that we would see following you it will cause us to do difficult things. It will cause us to be unusual. But following you, Lord, there's nothing like it. For you have the words of eternal life. And you called us out of this world, cleansing us from our sin, bringing us into that right relationship with you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.